yesterday, let's go ahead, we'll jump into this in just a second, but yesterday we talked about some of my biggest failures, and you, you could ask, well, why would you talk about that? Actually, I had that question several times yesterday. There's a couple of reasons for it. Uh, number one, if you look at the Bible, all of our heroes had major failures at some point. Almost every single one of them had major failures, and God recorded them in the Word. And I think one of the things that it does is it helps to see us how, helps to show us how to get through those things. It helps us to have hope. Oh, I'm not lost. I'm not so far gone. If they messed up like that and still made it and they're heroes in the Bible, I can recover as well. And so when people mess up, I found that the majority of people, they get to a place at some time where they just want to throw their hands up in their Christian walk because they feel like such a failure. But God doesn't see it like that. He sees the end from the beginning, and our job is to put faith in Him uh, to help us recover no matter what we see, no matter what's going on. And so that's why we're talking about some of these biggest failures. And one of the things I want to show you also is how to not get involved in your biggest failure, how to miss it completely by learning from uh, what I've done wrong in those in those ways. So yesterday we talked about these failures. We talked about drinking when I basically I was an alcoholic, and this is this is while I knew that God had called me to preach. This is part of this was me running from that calling, uh, smoking again after I had freedom. I talked about how I would buy cigarettes, but I wouldn't buy my wife a, a seven dollar purse. And uh, talk. I didn't talk and communicate to my pastors and to people that had spiritual authority over my life. Um, I talked about a root of bitterness that I didn't see for 27 years. One of the major, most important mistakes I ever made was judging ministers, wrongly judging ministers. Uh, the word says, touch not my anointed. Now, there's some people that think they're anointed and they don't want you to uh, challenge them at all, but they're not carrying any anointing. But then you got people that are actually called and anointed by God, and God, he's serious about this. And we talked about that yesterday. We talked about not taking a Sabbath day, not taking a day of rest and honoring God. And then we talked about working. There's a statement, and you'll have to go back and listen to it as we explain it, but there's a statement that says, pray like it's all up to God, then work like it's all up to you. And that sounds good, but I don't need to just work like it's all up to me because if that's the case, I, I'll probably work too hard. I'll go too much because I'm viewing myself as the source. I'm not a big fan. I understand what's trying to be said there, but I'm not a big fan of that statement because if you take it as an absolute, it can wreck people's life. I did that, and it about cost me my life. So we talked about those yesterday. If you haven't seen that, you can go back later this afternoon and watch that. But today I want to talk about this. Um, I want to talk about this. The first one is this, leaving your first love. So in Revelation chapter 2, it basically says, hey, you've done all these great things as a church, and uh, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. And when it says that, it talks about you, you've left that first love intimacy with God, uh, the precious nature of that fellowship, and you've left it. Now, what's interesting is that I found that I left that first love multiple times, and but not just with Jesus. I did that with my wife as well. I think that both your spouse 
and your relationship with God can fit into this moment. And I'm telling you, this is one of the most major mistakes that you can make in this. If you'll think about this, it goes on to say in Revelation 2, you need to repent. In other words, if you've left your first love, it's not over, but you do need to change it, and you need to change it now. And one of the things he says is, if you don't go back and repent and change this, then you actually, he says, I'll remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, where I've called you and what your destiny is, you may not be able to fulfill it because I will remove you from that place. And here's the reason why. If our fellowship with God, our first love, that precious and intimate fellowship with God is not there, then everything else we do is corrupt. Our, our whole life stems from intimate fellowship with God. There's a reason why he wants us, if you think about this, in John 3.16, the end game of John 3.16 is that we have eternal life with God. In John 17.3, it says this is eternal life, that you know him. In other words, that you have an intimate, the word know means intimate fellowship with God. And in that, if, if John 3.16 gets us to an intimate fellowship with God, that becomes one of the most important things that we can ever have. And when we lose or leave that fellowship, which is our first love, then all of a sudden everything else is not going to work. Acts 17.28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. Now, when we look at losing our first love, here's some of the symptoms of that, and, and I'll show you, share with you what I did as well. I was studying this, and I was, I was studying this and going down this path. The Lord was leading me here. My wife and I went on a cruise, and uh, she was sitting out on the balcony. We're on an Alaskan cruise. We're going through one of the uh, fjords, and she's looking up at the scenery and the nature, and I'm telling you, it's just beautiful. I'm sitting in the stateroom. She's out on the balcony just looking and taking it all in. And I sat there because I, did, I was on vacation, and I didn't have anything to do. I didn't have work pressing me or task or anything like that. And I literally sat in the stateroom, and I just watched my wife on the balcony enjoy God's creation. And I did that for like two or three minutes. Well, that doesn't sound like a long time, but... For a lot of people, that's a long time to sit still and just look. And the Lord spoke to me right in that moment. He said, when's the last time you looked at your wife like that? And I didn't have an answer. I didn't. This is, our, I think, our 15th anniversary. I said, Lord, I, I don't know. I, and I knew I was wrong. I said, Lord, I just repent of that right now. But what he was doing was he was talking to me about that first love. And think about this. Uh, many times, I think we can relate this to God if we'll see this in like the first person that we ever dated. If you're married, you, first time you met your spouse. I know when I met Nicole, when I met my spouse, when I met every waking moment of my day was spent thinking about her. I was I was thinking about when will we get to see each other next? Uh, what will, where will we go? What restaurant will we go to? What what movie will we watch? How can I be a blessing to her? I was thinking about her every single moment of the of my waking day. Now over time, over time, I stopped doing that. You know, it lasted that way for probably several years. 
the kind of newlywed experience. But then all of a sudden, you start getting used to each other, and you start focusing on other tasks in life, and you start doing this. And what's happened? That, that overwhelming joy that I got of just meditating on her in the beginning was lost. I had, in that relationship, I had left my first love. And so when I'm looking at her on that balcony, the Lord's talking to me about that, and he says, when's the last time you looked at her like that? Now, he was helping me to repair our marriage and our relationship, and I wouldn't say that we were on the rocks or anything, but watch this. If I wouldn't have fixed this, I believe we would have gotten to that place. I believe we were headed there even then because we got so busy with life and work, and we didn't look at each other like that. We had left our first love. And uh, we really, at that moment, we changed. We repented, and, and our relationship just went to another level. It's been awesome ever since then. But I'm constantly working on that. But that was a failure of mine for not recognizing and not realizing that I had lost that. But now let's apply that to our Christian walk. In our Christian walk, many times when somebody gets born again, Man, they're all about God. They're reading the word. You know, everything is about God. Everything's about Jesus. They're longing. And then honestly, they go to a church. And a church takes the place of God in that relationship. It's like everything comes through us. No, it's not about that. It's about getting all of us into an individual and a corporate fellowship with God, and we get to do it together, but it's not about replacing God in that fellowship. Many times when people go to a, a regular traditional church, God, that first love, is replaced with going to church and supporting the church. Now, listen, going to church and supporting the church is not bad, but it is bad when the minister tries to take the place of God right? When, when the minister tries to come between you and God and be the medium or the conduit that you are always uh, operating through. No, you are meant to have an individual relationship with God. The minister should enhance that individual relationship, enhance that first love. It's not meant to take it backwards, but to enhance it and, and make it go higher and so many times what happens, it's not just church, though. We get, we get tied up just like with my wife and our, our relationship. We got tied up with things in life. And all of a sudden, things in life make us forget because we focus on the wrong priority. Make us forget to read our Bible that day. Make us forget to spend time in prayer and worship with Him. And what happens? We move away from that first love. This is what I've said, and, and I did that. I've done that multiple times as a believer over the years, but now I have it set that if I feel that, that desire to not spend time with God, I instantly go to work on that, and I make myself get hungry for the things of God, and I start to meditate on how it was at the first, how I loved God, how I love. I can remember as a kid, I would watch... Uh, you know, preaching and teaching about the word. As a child, I would watch that stuff and just fall in love with God as a kid. And so if, if you look at Revelation 2, it says, remember the things you did in the past. And so I will start to think, I remember that time. Like, let's use uh, my, my uh, 
let's use my spouse, let's use Nicole as an example of this. You know, I would, in that relationship, I would actually go back and say, I remember when I was sitting at work and all I could do was think about her. I remember when I was longing, how can I take her to a nice dinner? And I'm thinking about, I'm meditating on it almost all day long. You know, I should have probably been thinking more about God at that point, but I wasn't walking like that at that moment. But I can remember with her, I'm thinking all the time, how can I be a blessing to her? Well, let's take that same thing and apply it to God. When we first get born again, how can I be a blessing to God? What can I do to serve him? How can I learn more about him? How can I grow in those things? How can I walk more in him and walk more in his power and in his love? How can I walk more in those things? These are questions, honestly, that we should have in us all the time and so that we never leave that first love. We never leave that first love. And one of my biggest mistakes was leaving that first love in the first place. But I didn't even know what it was. I didn't understand it. But when I found out about it, oh man, did it enhance my relationship and my whole life. Uh, and it made me want to never leave that again, not with God, not with my wife. I, I want to keep in that first love. It's like I, we're always dating. We're always having fun. That's where we want to stay all the time. And so this is, um, uh, this is quite a mess up, but when you find the solution, oh man, it's quite a, a great solution and a great win uh, in your life. All right, so one of the things that another uh, big failure that I had and if you have questions on any of these things, feel free uh, to post them. And if they're, they're actually on the other camera, if you have something, raise your hand. Another thing, okay, go ahead. Uh, do you have any quick tips for, I hope I'm plugged in, uh, for if you just recognized, okay, I just recognized as you're telling that story that I have fallen away from my first love with the Lord. You know, I remember when I was first saved. I remember that excitement, and it's not quite as exciting. I don't feel that same love. What are, like, a few, like, thing, a few quick tips that you would give to get back to that point? Yeah, well, the first thing is what it says there in Revelation chapter 2 is the major thing. It says, remember the place from which you have fallen. So I think that's Revelation 2.5. Remember the place from where you've fallen, which is what I talked about earlier, is start to remember what, what was it? How did you feel about that? And, and so when you start thinking how I felt at that beginning, then the immediate next question is, why don't I feel that now? Has God changed? No. Who's changed? Me. Okay, now that helps to highlight how I need to focus on that. I've changed my hunger. I've changed my outlook, my, how I'm looking at things. I've changed my priority structure. And in the beginning, God was my number one priority. And now maybe work is, or now my spouse is, which shouldn't be the first priority. It should be God and then your spouse and then your family and then church. That's the, that's the structure. Now, the, the interesting thing is that so many times uh, people will start putting other things in, in a different order, in a different priority. Another, another thing that I think is really good is, I think it's Proverbs 16.3, and it says, in the King James, it says, commit your works that your thoughts might be established. So if I ever don't feel like reading my Bible, 
I will read my Bible anyway, and the more I read my Bible, the more I want to read my Bible. In other words, my my works, I know what's right to do. I'll commit my works to that, and all of a sudden, that'll help change how I think about that and enter back into that first love. So these are the things that I will do. Those are the two major things, and that's what God gives in Revelation and is I'll make sure that I'm doing what I need to do. One of the, Another thing that I would say is learn how to get hungry. Uh, we have teaching on that, on how to get hungry. Uh, there's multiple steps. If you're not hungry for God, you got to ask the question, why am I not hungry for his things? I must learn to get hungry for the things of God. I've got to learn how to stay hungry. And so one of the things that I'll do is like if I'm trying to reach, you know, not leaving my first love and I recognize that my daily activities and my my meditation on God, my daily activities and my hunger for God are things that that get me there, then if I'll take care of these sub items, then I'll I'll stay there all the time. Those are three things that I think go hand in hand and are very important is you need to meditate on when you did it right and and who God is. You you need to commit your works and and do the things in your responsibility that you need to do as soon as you know to do them. And And if you're not doing them, then you need to review and go back and say, why is this not a priority? Why is this not coming to me first, right? And then I need to stay hungry. And if I'll stay hungry... And I'll do those three things. It'll keep me up there in that first love. So, amen. Yep. Uh, Marky had some. So I know you have a lot of awesome, um, like, kind of like a list of these are checkpoints to tell uh, fruit in different areas. But what about actually measuring your fellowship with the Lord? Because a lot of it I have based off of feelings of do I feel like I am in good standing with my relationship with the Lord right now? And I know it's easy to kind of use the word feeling, but I'm assuming that's, you know, because sometimes I've felt like, man, me and the Lord are tight right now. And then I have a moment where I, very high, high, and then a very low, low 20 minutes later. (laughs) And that's not, so measuring it by feelings is not probably a great standard. How would you accurately measure the fruit of but not just your life or your yeah. hunger, but specifically mm-hmm. your intimacy with the Lord? Yeah, that's a great question. And and you're right. A lot of times we don't feel like this. or you know, And many times one of the biggest tricks that the devil uses is he gets us in our flesh not feeling like we want to spend time with the Lord. And so because we don't feel like it and we don't feel worthy of time with the Lord— we just continuously don't have time with the Lord, which is the exact opposite thing that we need. That would be like, well, I don't, you know, it's kind of like I'm hungry, but I don't have enough energy to eat. Well, if you don't eat, you're not going to have any energy. You need to eat regardless of how you feel, you know. Uh, well, it's like somebody that's getting dehydrated. Well, I keep getting dehydrated, and I don't want to uh, lose any more water. I don't want to go to the bathroom again. Well, if you don't keep putting you know, liquid in, you're going to completely dehydrate. It could lead to severe issues. 
Well, it's the same way with God. He is our nutrition. He is our source. And regardless of how we feel, we need daily, fresh daily bread and fresh daily nutrition. And But what I've found is, you know, we have six biblical fruits that should be in every believer. And those fruit, those six fruits are the fruit of a proper fellowship with God. And we, sh- and we should look for those and see those. Number one fruit is an intimate fellowship with God. That means I'm talking to him, I'm hearing from him, uh, I'm, I'm getting things from him, I'm getting wisdom, I'm, I'm letting him know uh, how I am doing, what I'm thinking about, how I feel towards him, I'm worshiping him. There's an intimate fellowship with him going on on a regular basis. That involves not only receiving from him, but giving to him and prayer and worship and the word. I'm giving him my time. I'm spending time with him. But it, it doesn't just involve the outflow from me. It also involves what am I receiving from God. So if I don't have a back and forth, see a lot of people, their idea of a relationship is only one way from them to God. It's not like that. You should be receiving as well. And if you're not receiving, then that that is not a measure of success in that fellowship. Uh, the other fruit will be winning souls. You think about that. If you are really, think about this. If you are actually in the presence of God, then what are you going to care about? You're going to care about the heart of God. And I'm telling you, if you look in the Bible, you see that his heart is one thing for this time period, and that is to save those who are lost. That's what this time period is for. And so if you get around God and you don't pick up his heart, something is off in that relationship. Another one is making disciples. Of course, we have the great uh, commission. I need to be making disciples. I need to be growing to the place where I can make disciples and ultimately need to be making those disciples. Now, you might not see that in a brand new person who's born again, but over the years, those things should be happening. Uh, The next one is supernatural power. If you're in a correct fellowship, you can measure part of that fellowship with how much of the anointing is flowing through me. Supernatural power, seeing people healed and delivered and set free, Uh, financial miracles. You know, there's all kinds of manifestations of the goodness of God that should come through every believer in their fellowship with God. The other thing is supernatural revelation. As you read that word, things should come alive to you. You should see things on a regular basis. You should get revelation of things. Uh, While you're listening to preaching, you should get revelation of things. It should be happening. Not just that, but the gifts of the Spirit where you know, hey, this person needs to know this. This person, uh, this is what's going on in their life. And you don't know it by logic. You know it supernaturally, right? Uh, Another, uh, the last one is the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. If I missed one, you'll have to call me out on it. But um, the fruit of the Spirit should be an operation in every believer all the time. So if those six fruits are not happening, something's off in the relationship, and we have missed that first love. They, In other words, relationship carries fruit with it, right? Put that in the comments. Everybody put that in the comments. Proper relationship brings fruitfulness. Proper relationship brings fruitfulness. And uh, just think about that. Just think about that in terms of a husband and a wife. A proper relationship is fruitful. 
right? And it brings not just, it doesn't bring bad fruit, it brings good fruit, right? A proper relationship is fruitful, and our relationship with God should be the most fruitful. Uh, that's a really good question. So, yeah, go ahead. Hannah had a question. She said, how do we balance esteeming our fellowship with God without getting into works of needing to because it's right? Um, read that one more time, please. How do we balance esteeming our fellowship with God without getting into works of needing to because it's right? Well, ultimately, you're talking about getting to the place where you're uh, trying to pay a price. We, we don't pay the price for that fellowship and that relationship. We don't pay that price for that fellowship and relationship. We pay the, we, Jesus paid the price for us to enter in, and we want to move into that place, and we give to the Lord. We're not paying for it. We're giving it to him because we love him. And keeping that at, it, at its core will help you keep that balance proper. Amen. Good question. All right, now, somebody trying to log in? Okay. All right, so now one of the things that you see here is uh, the next thing that I want to talk about is I, being one of my biggest failures was being too harsh with the church as a pastor, uh, especially early on. And I want you to see this. This was a major mess up for me was I was kind of raised this way. This is how I thought. And uh, I basically had a list of what was right and what was wrong, and I need to follow that list. Well, of course, that basically is the definition of legalism. And I brought that strict uh, thinking into being a pastor. And so I'd see somebody, and I'd see them messing up, and I would sit there and be like, you need to fix this and this and this and this. Oh, and you need to fix this and this. And it's like every person in church, I had this list of stuff. And now it's funny now because uh, people come to me and other leaders and life group leaders come to me and they'll say, what do I need to do about this? I'm like, nothing, <laughs> nothing, let them be, you know, let them, let them desire to change that and come to you. And if you think about that, that's what God does all the time. Now that doesn't, he does that with us all the time. How many people are in sin and God's letting them be there? He's allowing them to be there. Most of them. And then you, when people get too strict, what do they get? They get religious in a bad way. They get, a, they get bad religious. And guess what's the biggest turnoff to new people? Is a strict bad religion, right? Religious legalism and works in that way. And man, as a pastor at the beginning, I was doing all of that. No, you, you don't want somebody to do something because you're holding a gun to their head and forcing them be good, right? No, you want heart change. Heart change means you're not forcing it. It's a discipline to the Lord because you love him, right? The love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. That's where we want to get. What's funny is, too, you'll notice, and I'm not talking about not being holy. I'm, you be holy, and you tell the people what is godly and the work that they are to do but you don't get in strict legalism over that. You teach them the heart change and why they should want to do that for the love of God, not because uh, it's just what you should do and you're forcing that, right? Even in our giving, it says don't give out of compulsion, right? And, and that's exactly right. What Abigail put up, she said, she said, it's the goodness of God. Don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance? 
and leads people to change. Not strict religion in that way. God did away with the strict religion so that he'd get us to, now watch this, this goes back to the first uh, mistake that I made about relationship and fellowship. He did away with the strict law and he completed it, not because it was bad, not because it was wrong, but because there's a better way, fellowship where God writes that on your heart and you give it to him because you love it. And so as a pastor in my first years, I was the what I referred to as mean pastor days because I was strict and I, I was strict on that. What's funny now is when we started our life groups, uh, we started it very structured and they just flopped. Honestly, they just... They did not do well, like, and we really see that today because today they are doing well. Do you know why they're doing well? Because we took the restrictions and said, just go be together. Ask a question. What would you get out of Sunday sermon? That's it. There's no outline. There's no organization. Let people be family. Let iron sharpen iron as the Holy Spirit directs that, and we don't control that. We allow that life group to hear from God and be who God's calling them to be. Now, we may give, okay, we need to pray over this. So all the life groups pray over this, if you would, uh, you know, this week. This is where we need to live. And this strict legalism, all it does is push people away because you're not getting them to heart change. So think about this. As soon as you remove yourself and your strict legalism, what's the person going to do? Do, if they don't have heart change, they're not going to follow that anyway. The whole point is to make disciples, not uh, robots, right? And so it, in that strict legalism of that way. Now listen, I'm not talking about being unholy. I'm talking about being the most holy people you can be and denying all ungodliness. That's what grace is for. But you teach people through heart change, not through strict uh, legalism. And that was a big mistake for me. And uh, I, I did it wrong for several years. When I made that change, the whole church changed and went to a new level. Power of God started flowing like crazy. People literally put down their flesh and started walking in holiness on a, on a different level. It was one of the most beautiful things, everything, that we've ever done. So, but that was a mistake, definitely. Uh, here's another thing that I've done is a pride that blames God. You know, and, and watch this. As soon, this is, this is something I did, especially early on. It's like, Lord, I'm doing this right. Why is this not working? What am I doing? I'm upset because I feel like I did everything right. Well, that's straight pride. That's like the definition of pride. Anytime I find myself getting upset, upset with God and his ways, I, I know I'm off think something's wrong, I'm not, I'm not doing this correctly. And so when I feel, when I get upset because it's not working and I'm kind of looking at God, why is this not working? That's a pride that blames God. It's one of the worst things you can ever do because pride puts you in opposition of God. Now your faith's not going to work. Every, if whatever faith you did have, it stops right there because your conscience is now uh, corrupted and your conscience actually is something that has to be right for faith to work. The Bible teaches us that if your conscience is broken, your faith doesn't work. So you know if I'm in pride and I'm mad at God, your faith's not going to work. And are you in that moment, are you actually believing that you have received it? No, you're not. You're believing that it's not working. You're believing that it's broken. 
And many, this is a mistake that I made. I learned to, I, I learned to correct this pretty early on, but every now and then it'll try to pop up. As soon, and I'll recognize the red flag for me is when I feel upset about God or how his ways work. Uh, that's my red flag. And so I'll pay attention to that. Uh, when I, my red flag, the kind of my mindset so that it alarms me on being too strict is when I start judging people like they need to do this and they need to do that. And I'm just mad with them because they didn't do this. That's a red flag, right? Because I'm, what I'm doing is I'm starting to give them all the do's and do nots. And what I need to do is I need to forgive them and I need to teach them and train them, but not be mad with them. Show them what the right way is and actually teach and actually be a disciple maker instead of a hard taskmaster in that way. Um, you know, uh, anytime my red, the red flag with leaving the first love is anytime I lose hunger or the relationship gets dull. If I lose hunger or the relationship gets dull, that is a red flag to me. And before it gets too deep, I start working on making that change. All right. The next thing is having a poverty. One of my biggest mess ups was having a poverty mentality. And I didn't really realize this, but overall, for most of my childhood, we were pretty much in poverty. And and I thought we were middle class, but then as I grew and I learned uh, some of those things, I realized we weren't middle class. We were pretty low low class in terms of a financial level that we were at. And what I didn't realize was with that, I always believed, even though I believed to be an entrepreneur and a leader and I believed there was more out there, I didn't realize I had some poverty baggage in my thinking and I needed to get over that. And probably the biggest change for that for me was uh, when we listened to Keith Moore's series on prosperity basics and we listened to it time and time and time and time and time again, and he actually went through a poverty test in the middle, he said, let me give you this poverty test. And when he went through that, I went, oh my gosh, I have poverty thinking up and down, you know? And uh, he, he, it was one of the most eye-opening things, but it taught me faith, and I utilize that faith not just for finances, but for healing and every other thing in the kingdom now. Because faith works the same, uh, the promise just changes. Okay, here's a promise for finances. Here's a promise for healing. Here's a promise for full life. And the promise changes, but faith operates the same. That series really taught us faith. But one of the things that really exposed was that poverty mentality where we constantly thought we're going to have a problem. We constantly thought we're not going to have enough. And I realized that there were things attached to my childhood where I was always expecting not to have the good stuff. I was always expecting to not have enough. And when I expected that, I would literally shut the door to the provision that God actually had lined up. God had everything lined up at the door, but I was I didn't know it, but my mindset constantly was closing the door towards faith because I had a poverty mindset. God's trying to bless me. I keep slamming the door in his face, and I didn't even have a clue that I was doing it. So I had to get out of that poverty mentality, and a lot of that came to mind renewal, what God wanted to get to me, how he wanted to get it to me, how often he wanted to get those things to me, what he wanted. And part of that, one of the biggest breakthroughs I ever had years later was actually uh, learning to receive. 
And I, I realized I am not a good receiver. So people would try to bless you, bless me, and I just had the hardest time receiving that. I'd, I'd try to talk them out of it and everything. And then one time the Lord said this to me. He said, how am I going to bless you if you won't receive when I'm trying to give it to you? And I went, well, that's as simple as it gets. But but I didn't realize I was doing that, but now I do. Thank you. And the next time somebody said, hey, I'd like to give you this, I said, thank you so much. I just received it real quick. That changed everything. All of our finances went up. Everything went, watch this, though. It wasn't just the finances. When I learned to receive like that, the anointing went up. More people started getting healed at that change. Why? Because I learned to receive not just finances. That was the teacher. Finances was the teacher of it, right? That's what helped me see it. But I learned how to receive the glory. I learned how to receive peace. I learned how to receive joy. I learned how to receive the anointing, and I learned how to be a good receiver, right? I didn't complain about receiving or I need to receive this. I learned how to be thankful over every little thing I received and receive it with joy and uh, be thankful for it. That changed so many things. But it was a mistake early on. Um, then, one of the things, another big mistake was this, was as a minister, not preaching on finances. Like, when I first started, I, I, we always talked about God, how God wanted to bless the finances. But I shied away from money as a whole because I knew it was a touchy subject with men. And then I had the Holy Spirit start leading me to teach on money and teach on finances and teach on prosperity. And I didn't want to touch that because I knew it was touchy in men's hearts and minds. And, uh, and so I stayed away from it for years more than I should have. One of the biggest mistakes I ever made. Finally, I got it through my head. Hey, the Holy Spirit's telling me to teach on this and preach on this. And when I did, the anointing exploded. And I went, oh my goodness, what is this? And, and I'd, I'd teach on that, and the anointing of God would flow. And then while I'm teaching about finance, people get healed. Why? Because you know, healing, if you think about it, it's simply prosperity of the body, right? It's prosperity in health. It, and that's what the blessing is. It's just prosperity in each area of life it, so that you have a full life, right? And so I learned that finances was a great teacher and one of the things I really saw is that if we don't understand how to think towards worldly finances, we'll never move into the true riches of the kingdom. And, and Luke, it tells us that and teaches us that. It shows us that if you don't understand this unrighteous mammon, this ungodly wealth, if you don't know how to process it, believe and receive it and use it properly, then, ha then the Lord says, you can't get to a flow of the anointing and a flow of the glory and a flow of you know the true riches of the kingdom of God if you don't understand that. So I realized as a pastor, by me not teaching about finances and prosperity, I'm holding the people back from the true riches of the kingdom. When I got that, I repented, I started preaching on it, and I'm telling you, people started moving up. People started moving up in their finances. They started moving up in the things of God. I mean, things started changing. And I really am so glad the Lord showed me that, had mercy on me with it, because that was a big mistake. Here's another thing that I found. All the people that would give you problems over money and, and that kind of church politics stuff, 
When I start teaching on money, it would wipe that problem out, right? It would, that anointing on that would solve that issue and bring unity uh, to the body. It was such a great thing uh, that, I learned, that I learned on that. All right, here's, here's another one, and this is one that it's funny because it just keeps going is one of the biggest problems that I had, especially early on, was not thinking big enough, not thinking big enough. Uh, this, and every time I think that I'm thinking big enough, God will come in and say, you're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking big enough. I've never had him stop telling me that. And so the thing about that is, if we're already not thinking big enough, we might as well just jump in with both feet and start thinking as big as we can. And because I promise you, when you do it, you're not thinking big enough. Why? Because God's so much bigger. And this was a mistake for me to uh, hesitate on this and draw this back. I needed to think bigger quicker, right? Think bigger. Put that in the comments, everybody. Think bigger quicker. (laughs) Think bigger quicker. And uh, that was definitely a mistake, but I got it now. And every time I get to a place, I start trying to stretch myself to think bigger again. God wants some big thinkers. Why? Because he wants people thinking like him. He wants people that'll think like him. He wants people that'll draw on him of the size that he is. He wants people that'll draw on his resources and utilize what they're supposed to and stop acting like they're not worthy of it. He's looking for some big thinkers. Amen. All right, now, the next thing, uh, this is a major problem for so many people, is arrival mentality. Arrival mentality. Arrival mentality basically means you feel like in some area you have arrived. You've, You've reached the pinnacle and you don't have any more room to grow. Of course, this is based in pride and it's based in a lack of revelation of not knowing how big God is. So there's two major problems with it. One is pride. Two, you don't know how big God is. And then you're not thinking big enough toward it enough where you think you've arrived in something. And what I've found is it shuts you down so fast because when you don't think there's any more room to grow, you won't put your faith out. And so without this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. As soon as you get in a rival mentality, you stop overcoming. Arrival mentality stops you from overcoming. Put that in the comments. Arrival mentality stops you from overcoming. And so I found that when I would get in arrival mentality, I feel like uh, I, I, I thought, you know, I would get to a place where I, I would get to an arrival point in my faith where I just would pray a prayer and everything would happen. And in other words, it was just... And, and the Lord said, at what point is faith not going to be a need to be active in you? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. I said, never. He said, but doesn't by definition faith mean that you can't see it all? In other words, you haven't arrived there yet? And I went, oh, my goodness. And I saw the flaw in my thinking. I was trying to get to this, like, great, glorious fruit of faith. And God was just saying, I want faith to be on, on the tree of your life at all times. Like, you never stop being in faith. It's just, it's a part of who you are. It's not an arrival point. It's a it's defining of who you are, and it'll never not be defining of who you are. And uh, that arrival mentality was stopping me uh, from, from those things. Uh, it was a big mistake. Uh, got basically two or three more here, 
And uh, this, was, this was a big one. And these are interesting because they can look kind of contradictory to each other, but you have to learn the balance of them. And one was this. This is one of my biggest mistakes that I made is not taking vacation, not taking vacation. I did not schedule time off from work for multiple years, and it hurt me, and it hurt my family. And I, should, I shouldn't have done that. I should have, I should have scheduled that time. Now, I, that doesn't mean that I don't communicate with my team, that I don't ask them about that or anything. Uh, it, it doesn't mean any of that. It means that I make sure that I schedule that, I rest, and I make sure that I, I schedule that time with my team as well. I let them know. I say, hey, is there anything going on during this week? Because they're a part of me. We're in covenant together. I'll let them know. And they're not controlling my vacation, but it's wrong for me not to communicate that. But I make sure that I am taking a vacation. I'm taking rest time. I take it each week on the Sabbath, and I and I make sure that I'm taking it, uh, taking a vacation, getting my family out of town, away from the normal business of things, and just having some family time together. That vacation time is important to have, and it's not just family, it's rest. The time where you're just resting. You're just doing nothing. You're not handling responsibility. You're giving, you're giving yourself time to recover, and I think that that is very important, and I really recognize that that was a mistake that I made. The Lord brought it to me and corrected it, corrected me on that, and uh, so it was great when we cha- made that change. And see, before that, we never had the means to go on the vacation. That's part of the reason why we didn't. But when I changed my heart and my mindset that we need to take it, all of a sudden, it was provided we would have the resources. So when I'd put faith towards it, the resources would come in. You see, of course, that's biblical. Uh, but when I wouldn't put faith towards taking a vacation, I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't have it. Why? Because this is the victory that overcomes, even our faith. And so if I wasn't putting faith towards taking a vacation, I wouldn't have the resources to take one. But when I'd put faith, we need to take one, Lord, I'm asking you to provide for it, we would have the means to go and do that. And so pull on that grace that's available to you by faith in that way. Um, One of the things, I'm going to add this in here as well, was at one point the Lord said this to me. He said, what do you like? And he asked me a few uh, months later, he said, what do you like to do? And I was working so hard. This goes back to another mistake. I was working so hard, I didn't have answers for either one of those. I said, Lord, the fact that you're asking me, I know I should have an answer to this. What do I like and what do I like to do? What, what things do I like and what actions do I like? What, what uh, you know, items do I like to take part in and do? And I didn't have an answer for that. And I realized that was wrong. And so what was I doing? I was focusing so much on work. I wasn't focused on having some fun every now and then. I wasn't focused on joy. And all of it, you can see how all of this goes back to where I was being very strict. And all of this kind of turned at the same time, taking vacations, uh, going from mean pastor to joyful pastor, you know, uh, knowing what I like and what I don't like. All that turned at the same time the Lord was working on me because I, I was trying to work so hard, like it was all up to me, I wasn't letting God take part in my work or my play, and it was costing me, and it was hurting me. 
And so the Lord said, what do you like? I said, Lord, I know I should have an answer for this. I repent for not knowing this, but you know me better than I know me. Help me to know what is it. You know my heart better than I know my heart. What do I like? He started showing me things that I like. Ask the Lord that question. Ask him. Say, Lord, what do I like? What is something that just brings joy, the joy of the Lord to me? What do I like? Ask him that. He'll share that with you. You mean he'll share something with you that's that small? It's not small to him. It's important to him because it's important to you. And, and he says, what do you like to do? I was like, I don't know what I like to do. And he started putting things in my life and showing me things that I like. And I can tell you one thing I like right now. I like driving that new car. <laughs> like, it brings me joy. And uh, I really, I just enjoy it. I miss not driving it. If I'm not dri- driven it for a while, I like it. It just blesses me. And, and it's supernatural. It's not, I don't know. I've never had a car like that. It just blesses me. And uh, so it's, it, these are the kind of things I'm talking about. I like watches. You know, that was one of the things he brought up to me. I said, what do I like? He said, you like watches. I was like, I do like watches. <laughs> you know, I do like watches. He said, to you, it's like an art piece on the wrist. I was like, it is like art, you know? And I'm repeating these things back to the Lord as if he, you know, he needed to hear my agreement. He knew it. He knew it the whole time. He helped me find it. And then he, from that moment, he started giving me those things. You know, why? Because he gives, he won't, this is the heart of God. He wants to give you things richly to enjoy. All things richly to enjoy. That's God's heart. But many of us have been so strict and we've not, we've not learned how to receive and we've not thought big enough. We don't think God cares about that stuff. He cares about that stuff greatly. I mean, he cares about it greatly, and he wants to get it. And all of a sudden, people just started giving me watches. They just started sewing watches into me. Like, why didn't they do it before? Maybe I hadn't put faith towards it. Maybe I hadn't hadn't put faith towards receiving something that I liked just because I liked it. But, of course, now I've got testimonies, and, and God actually uses what I like to give testimonies to people. And I wish you could hurt even the vehicle that I just received. Do you know how many pastors called me and said, Pastor, that inspired me so much. It blessed me so much to watch that. I was like, glory to God. I just received it. That's all. But see, that started years ago when the Lord started talking to me about what I like. And so ask the Lord, what do I like to do? You know, and have those moments. It's not all work 24-7. It's not all work 24-7. Enjoy it. (laughs) Enjoy life. Life. To have and enjoy life to the full till it overflows, right? This is, that's John 10.10. Read it in the Amplified. God wants to get good things to you. Hey, when it's time to work, it's time to work. But when it's time to play, it's time to play and have fun doing it, right? All right, glory to God. Uh, This, now this is something that this might seem a little contradictory, and I'm glad that you're hearing both sides of this, but this is a mentality that comes from the flesh and not from the Spirit of God, and that is, I deserve. I deserve. Now, this one is one of the most major ones that will get you in trouble, and I've made this mistake. And it's like, okay, you've done a good job. You've done a good job. I deserve. I deserve to take a break. You do? All right, hold on. If if you've done a good job, 
Who gave you? Who gave you the ability to know that it was a good job? Who gave you the ability to know what's good and what's wrong? God did. Who gave you the strength to get it done? God did. Who who empowered you throughout the whole thing with wisdom to make it happen? God did. So who really deserves the glory? See, the moment that we start thinking we deserve something. Now, see, I it, it's like these words, we can play kind of semantics with them, but it's like you are worthy of being blessed because God chose to bless you. Now, that's different from I deserve because I did it. Totally different thought. One comes from heaven, one comes from hell. And this I deserve because I did it, you know, this is the problem with many people that are very gifted, like in music and acting and everything. They think it's them that gave them that gift. Well, I'm so good at this that I deserve this honor and this praise. I'm so good at this, I deserve it. No, you didn't give it. See, Herod, King Herod had that same heart, and that's the one that the angel came by, and when he should have given glory to God, he took it for himself, and that angel struck him inside, and he died right there because he had an I deserve mentality. That's why I'm, I'm really leery when people will say, well, you deserve this. You know, I, I've watched multiple people, when you get something good, they'll say, you deserve this. It's like, what I deserved on my own without Christ was not what I want. Because what I deserved without Christ was hell. And what I deserve now with Christ, even if I'm making a good choice, who gave me the ability to make that good choice? God did. And so I want to take all of that I deserve and I want to give God the glory for anything that the world thinks I deserve. And I want to make sure that that doesn't get in my head and now I get up in pride and lifted up and puffed up because I'm making good choices. That's a dangerous place. And, it, and, and I understand there's a fine line there, but it's a slippery slope on the other side. So you just want to be wise about that and not get into a fleshly I deserve mentality, but at the same time, understand that you are worthy of being blessed because of what Christ did, right? And so that's how you balance those two things. Now, and this is one of the biggest things that I ever did, one of the biggest mistakes that I ever did. And I'm going to go through these at the very end of this. I'm going to tell you what I think are my top mistakes, some of the most dangerous. This is one of them. This is one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my life, and this was just a few years ago. It was while I was pastoring. I went, and I was, I'd been on the road. I'd been traveling. I'd been preaching, saw the power of God move, saw all these things. I, I had leaned a little bit more on myself than I had leaned on the grace of God, and I'd gotten tired. I hadn't taken his uh, advice on when to stop and slow down. And so I'd gotten physically tired. And so now I just got home off of a trip of serving the Lord, and I'm sitting there one, uh, one day, and all of a sudden uh, there's a show that comes up on there. Now watch it. I want you to see this. The difference between physically resting and spiritually resting coupled with the I deserve mentality. I got there, I needed to physically rest. That was without question. I needed to physically rest and take a break, which I was doing. But one of the mistakes I made was, along with physically resting, I spiritually rested. 
In other words, I drop my spiritual guard, which doesn't really cost me uh, you know, physical exertion, but I drop my spiritual guard, and it really stemmed from an I deserve mentality. And so I felt like, you know, I just did a really good job for the Lord. I worked really hard. I deserve to take a break, and here's what happened. I watched a show on TV. It was on Netflix or something. And I watched the show on TV, and it looked interesting to me to some of my interests, like a sci-fi type thing. I watched it. But I heard the Lord say, I heard the Holy Ghost say, now this becomes very, very important to us. It is not a joke, and it's not a game. I heard the Lord say, don't watch that. I heard the Holy Spirit say, don't watch it. But in my head, I'd already flipped the switch. I deserve to take a break, and I and I equated physical resting with a dropping my spiritual guard, spiritually resting because I believed I deserved. And all of a sudden, when I when I rested spiritually, I dropped my guard. I was like, "It'll be okay to watch this. This looks interesting." And I watched that. What I what I didn't know was whoever wrote that show. I'm, I'm convinced of it today. They were demonically possessed. And they wrote it completely from a demonic source. And I came under an attack in my mind. And, and it worked out. And it worked out fine. And I was good. But I'm going to tell you, it took months, months, and even years to completely overcome that one moment of spiritually resting when I should have just been physically resting. If, you, if you're tired, don't drop your spiritual guard. That doesn't mean that you're not at rest. But it, when you hear the Holy Ghost say to do something, you make sure that you're obedient and don't get in that I deserve. That was one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life, and uh, it cost me. It was, it was a tough period of time. It was easy in the Lord as I gave it to him, but figuring it out and working through that was quite a challenge to me. And uh, praise God I got through it. Praise God for his mercy and his grace. But man, if I could tell you something... Uh, don't do that. And so uh, any questions that anybody has, I'm going to open it up for that. But uh, well, I want to give you some of the biggest ones that made the biggest difference to me. And I think uh, probably the biggest problems and the biggest failures that I had, I'll say uh, number four was, uh, was not communicating with my leadership. That was, that was a really, really big deal. I would say that number, uh, golly, this is difficult to do. Number number three, I would be, is spiritually resting in a couple with that I deserve mentality. I deserve can be very dangerous. It's very subtle, very subtle, and it's a big trap. Third, and there's a reason why I'm doing this, third, or the second thing, and this is a huge thing, is judging ministers. This is not a game to God. You don't judge ministers wrong. Ministers are actually called to have an anointing on their life by God. I'm not talking about somebody who's just in a pastoral position because they thought it would be a good thing to do. But I'm talking about when you actually have a call, a minister has a call on their life and they are anointed by God and you come against them, it is a dangerous thing for that person. It's not a game. I've wa I have watched people die. I've watched people lose their life early over this, not just once, multiple times. And, uh, and then the number one problem is leaving your first love because if you don't have that intimate fellowship with God, nothing's going to work right. And I mean nothing is 
going to work right. So those would be, I would say, the, the top ones. Serena said she really appreciates my vulnerability in these broadcasts. I've honestly been encouraged. Praise God. Amen. Good. That's what it's meant to be. And uh, that's why I wanted to share it with you is I thought it would help people to see, like, and these are not things that I, like, all of this happened before I pastored. Most of these things are while I was pastoring. You know, so they were, they were things that I had to deal with and learn while I was pastoring. Uh, so, which also shows us you don't have to, one of the things we talked about yesterday, you don't have to be perfect to be in the pulpit, but you should be doing what Romans 8.13 says, constantly putting to death the deeds of the flesh. So that's where we want to stay and that's where we want to live. Did we have any questions that I missed? Amen. Did y'all have any real quick? Amen. Well, glory to God. Well, Father, right now, I just ask you, help us all to see these areas and these issues. And Lord, help us to operate at full strength and full capacity according to your will. Let us not be uh, low in anything, but let us be full in your will in everything, in every area, in every plan, in every purpose and pursuit that you've given us, Lord. Let us walk out the fullness. Let us have the full manifestation of your inheritance in every place and in every plan of our life. Lord, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, help us see those areas that we have missed, that we can clean those up because we love you. The love of Christ motivates us. The love of Christ compels us. Lord, thank you for showing us that, for letting us see those things. We praise you and we worship you. We give you the glory and the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. And uh, we just praise God for you. I, we pray that this has helped you. If you didn't see yesterday's broadcast, check that one out too. The major areas where I missed it, other people can uh, follow that and not miss it. Right now, we're going to turn it over uh, as they wrap it up today. If you would like to sow, uh, you can go to giveww.org. They're going to tell you more about that. We love you so very much. And uh, get ready for tomorrow. It's going to be awesome on Lunch Plus. Here's Abigail. Hey, guys. <clears throat> As he was saying before, it is so important. The Bible talks constantly about sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. And Pastor just said today, if we don't understand God's perspective on finances, it's going to be very difficult for us to get any further into the greater things of God. So if the Lord's put it on your heart today to sow into this broadcast, to sow into this good soil, then please do. We've made it very easy for you to be obedient. You can go to giveww.org. We have Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, Text to Give, um, all those wonderful things to make it easier for you. But we do ask, please don't give under compulsion. If the Lord's told you to sow, if he's asked you to, then please be obedient. And if he hasn't, then no condemnation, but we do want to pray for those who are sowing. God has promised, as you sow, that shall you also reap. So we just want to pray a blessing on every person who's sowing today. Lord, thank you right now. Thank you for every seed. Thank you that it is blessed. Thank you. We know it is being planted into good soil. And thank you for what it's going to do for the kingdom. Thank you also that it is bringing about a quick and mighty harvest back into their hands in Jesus' name. Thank you that it is a testimony for them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.